0: going to uh, be looking at the spiritual friendship chapter. And for those of you who haven't joined us before, what we're doing is we're looking at Jewish mysticism through the lens of Hasidism. So we're looking at uh, teachers who take a point or a text from Kabbalah and expound on that text, a Hasidic master expounding on that text. But even to that level, for us is filled with language and jargon and references and inferences that we don't really get. Uh and so we have modern scholars who unpack the Hasidic masters unpacking of the Kabbalah. Yes? All right. So um so hopefully by the time uh Lawrence Fine has finished with us we will have a fine understanding of the piece here from *Hitrag Shut HaNefesh by Rabbi Aaron Roth. So finally someone got it. Thank you. Um, all right. So does someone want to begin uh, reading? And if you can do so loudly so our microphone can pick you up so it can be heard online.
1: From the, from the Rabbi Roth? Or Correct. Or, okay.
0: Rab, Rabbi Roth, yes. I have
1: seen among the writings of the Holy Rabbi Shalom Dover of Lubavitch The memory of the righteous is a blessing. That there are many categories of sleep. There is a sleep that is no more than a light nodding when the sleeper is half awake. There is a category of real sleep. There is the category of slumber. And there is the category of fainting, far worse, God forbid, where it is necessary to revive him with every kind of medicine in order to restore his soul. And there is a category of still deeper unconsciousness that is known as a coma where, God forbid, only a tiny degree of life still remains in deep concealment. In this age, we are in this deepest state of unconsciousness. To be sure, there are still holy individuals among us who are still alert. Now, when a person becomes aware that he is falling asleep, and begins to nod, and he is afraid that a strong, heavy sleep may overcome him, the best advice for him is to request his friend to wake him, or that he should go among people who are awake and where a light shines brightly. But when he is on his own, who can wake him? My meaning is that he should obtain a mentor, a friend who will converse with him from time to time on matters having to do with the fear of God. These words are in the category of a seed. The holy words they speak being sown in the heart. Even though he may not be aware of it at the time, yet later he will become conscious of it. This was the way of the disciples of the holy Baal Shem Tov that each encouraged the others, and that is why they attained to such lofty spiritual stages.
0: All right. Clear? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we're talking here, <clears throat> talking here about a, a metaphor, of course. Sleep, oh. <laughs> oh. Sleep, right? As in some kind of state of unawareness, unalertness, not full cognition, you know, not being fully aware of everything that's going on, but that there's many levels of that, right? So I love this image of uh, the many categories uh, of sleep, right? So the first one being, you know, when you're just starting to sit in your seat and you're starting, you have jet lag, right? It's your first day in Israel, and somebody's talking about windows and the hot, you're yeah, like, right? So when you when you start to feel that kind of nodding off, you're you're awake, but then for a split second, you're like falling, you're nodding off. So then you you have these these momentary Tiny unconsciousnesses, and then you snap back up, right? But that whole time you're kind of distracted by the nodding off. So even when you're when you've caught yourself and you wake up, you're you're still not really fully tracking what's going on because you're so tired or so um, distracted by the possibility of dropping off again. Then there's the category of real sleep, right? When you're actually asleep and you're not aware that you're asleep right called in this in his language uh slumber and there's the category of fainting what is fainting about suddenly losing consciousness you're tracking everything's fine i'm aware of what's happening around me and suddenly boom out of absolutely nowhere something happens could that happen richard
2: yeah. did suddenly
0: Something happens and you are offline. You are tending to nothing that's going on around you because wham, something happens. And then there's still deeper unconsciousness that is known as coma. So where absence, is not even sleep, because sleep there's still awareness of a different kind, right? There's still activity in the mind, it's just a different kind of activity. The subconscious or whatever you want to, call what happens for us when our brains are doing their, the professionals would have to tell us more about that. Um, Right, George? Um, About what goes on in the brain when we're working out our stuff but are not exactly conscious either. Coma is like very little, you know, maybe brain stem and not much more, right, activity. So um, in this age, what is the teacher here saying? We are in this deepest state of unconsciousness. That we are living essentially in a coma.
3: Why does it say that?
0: Why does it say that?
3: A lack, a lack of spiritual awareness. A
0: lack of spiritual awareness. Any uh, other handouts you out of the handouts. Oh, are some here.
4: Huh. This was written though in 1934. We fixed all of that. Yeah, thank aware. God. And we're here. Thank <laughs> God.
0: Right. So. So I think these teachings are designed to be somewhat provocative. Right? They're supposed to they're supposed to provoke something in the people studying them. The people coming coming to study these texts care what these te- masters have to say about our state. These are people who already are a self-selecting audience and on some level are kind of committed to consciousness and awareness. So they 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 expect to see a statement like this. And of course it's challenging. Okay. So we are in a deep state of unconsciousness to be sure there are still holy individuals among us who are still alert. What? So most of us are busy shopping, right? And watching TV and right. But some people are actually alert, So what happens? The next metaphor he goes into is when a person becomes aware that they're falling asleep and begins to nod and is afraid that a strong, heavy sleep may overcome him. What should that person do? How do you prevent a real sleep from happening if you keep nodding off?
5: Ask someone wake you.
0: Ask a friend to help. Have someone make you stay awake. Right. So you go among people. So you have a friend. Say, you know, if you see me nod off, just kick me, right? So <laughs> somebody, you you enlist somebody to help you when they notice you're nodding off. Can you already see where this is going? Right. I love this. So enlist a friend. Next time you see me not paying attention, let me know. Wake me up, or. You could go among people who are awake where there are bright lights. So go where folks are really alert and really awake and there's lots of bright lights because it's gonna, the environment itself will force you to be more awake. You are very much less likely to nod off, right, in bright lights with lots of people, right, talking around you. But when you're on your own, who's gonna wake you? Somebody trying to say something?
3: Oh, I, I thought that I had um,
6: understood that it, it's it's part of our opportunity to find someone as a friend who is more alert than we, and that person will bring us to another level.
0: That's exactly exactly where he's going to go. Exactly. So when you're on your own, you're kind of on your own. You start nodding off, and if you do fall into a really deep sleep, oh, well, somebody will find you eventually, or you'll sleep long enough and wake up. Um, My meaning is that one should obtain a mentor, a friend, who will converse with one from time to time on matters having to do with fear of God. So I just want to make...
4: Where did that come from? (laughs) I mean... That wasn't part of the discussion
0: at all. So he's now, all of a sudden we're not talking about fear of God. So he is he's unpacking his own metaphor, right? So Rabbi Roth is now unpacking this whole metaphor of having a friend wake you. What does that mean? Obtain a mentor or a friend who will converse with you with you uh, from time to time on matters having to do with fear of God. So I want to go to Ruben's point about like what. Yirah. talk to me about the Hebrew concept Yirah. Yer'ah Tashem. It's, it's, all sure. all. it's all. Yeah. Good. What is normally translated as fear in Hebrew, Yirah, means both fear and awe because they are very closely related. I always get from English-speaking Westerners serious pushback about this. But if you can suspend your own ethnocentricity for just a moment, just suspend it. You don't have to. You can go back to it, but we suspend it for a minute and think about when we are truly in a radical state of awe. There is a sense of how tiny we are, how short. Our little lives are in the whole magnificent scheme of things. And there is some measure of fear. Fear related to that, that in our tradition is not a bad thing. We also go right to fear is bad, right? Because it, it means I'm going to act in ways that are crazy or stupid, right? Um, I have a bumper sticker that says fearful people do stupid things, right? So, <laughs> so I get the connection in English, but truly there's, there's this sense as a spiritual kind of, um, orientation or an experience of a moment of depth and power and breadth. And as the rabbi say, Mochin de Gadlut, expanded consciousness that takes us to a place of awe that is very close to the concept Fear. And that is in our tradition a good position to be in vis a vis God.
1: Oh, you could also you can also continue to use the word fear if you reframe it in the context of fear of being found wanting. In other words, you have aspirations to be right in your relationship with God, your fellow man and, and the universe. But when you when you encounter when you encounter any aspect of the divine, you start thinking, you know, am I up to the task? And you worry, you fear that you're going to be balanced in the scale and you'll be found wanting.
0: So for Richard, what makes this word okay and work a little bit better is fear of, and then put put it in there. It's not fear of God so much as it is maybe fear of, am I accessing and fully um Bringing into being my own divinity, right? You know, the, my own capacity for holiness and and um, being a reflection uh, of the divine image. So, so, Reuben, to your question, so who's going to help us stay awake? The folks who are writing this are rabbis.
2: <laughs>
0: what do they think is going to keep you awake? Torah. <laughs> Conversation. That is going to lead one closer to the place of being in contact with one's awe of the hugeness and bigness of it, capital I. Right? It being existence, God, right? They're all the same, all the same thing um, for us. Okay. So these words. Are in the category of a seed. What words? No. Which words? Which words? Which words are the seed?
3: The words that lead us to the fear of God. Sacred
0: conversation. Mm-hmm. Sacred conversation. The words of the conversation with that friend that are in this genre of language, year I, they are a seed. How many times have you understood what some master teacher was saying three years later? (laughs) Yes? That the seed often gets planted and we're not, we're not mature enough yet or we haven't had a certain set of experiences or, or awarenesses enough yet to be able to open the full meaning of of what somebody has imparted to us through language. And so I, I love this this image of it's a seed. Sometimes you kind of get, oh, that's a seed. And you, you get it, you see it, right? But something else is going to happen when that lives in you for a while. There's other things that start to see. The shell of the seed starts to dissolve, right? And tendrils start to, to grow. So it's not that it's a wholly different thing altogether. It, it, it was a seed. But it changes when it lives, and if we tend, and if we um, really take care of uh, giving it nutrition and all the fertilizing and all the things it needs, then it grows into something else. It grows into something different as it lives in us. I thought I saw a hand. Even though we, the words they speak... What? The holy words they speak being sown in the heart, right? So the seed is being sown in the heart. Bert, can you see if we can get a custodian, please, to lower the... Is anyone else warm? Yes. Yes. Can we lower the temperature in here, please? Got to check. I always got to check at this stage. <laughs> Amy? Yes. What you're talking about also is the relationship of parents to their children. You think? You plant the seeds, but they won't be growing there for another bunch of years. You hope to live
3: long enough to see.
0: And so to the comment is that, that this is parents and children, that we plant the seed, and we may not see sprouts for a very long time. <laughs> and the real spiritual work of any kind of tutelage, any kind of, whether it's parenting or teaching, Right, training, coaching—you know, whatever it is, psychotherapy. You're know, like you can plant the seeds, and you have to trust that you've planted what you can. Right? What happens from there? I saw the elbow. Yeah, I saw the husband elbow the wife up there. Great. That means ching, right? So uh, something went in. Um, we we have to trust that we've planted the seeds, and it is really. On some level, and I mean this respectfully and truly respectfully, is it's none of our business. What we could do is plant. It's really up to the person who's receiving it to figure out how to tend it or whether or not to tend it. We don't get to pick that. We get to pick what seeds we put in their heart, right? And already that's hard enough, right? How many times it's halfway out of my mouth and I'm like, like... That is not what I want to plant in her. So that's hard enough just to even choose what you're planting.
3: But doesn't a lot of it have to do...
6: I think we, too, are not only the planters, but I think we, too, are the nurturers. We need to know how to nurture that seed we, and, and, and to help it to grow
0: I don't want to push the metaphor too hard because then it loses something. But but I'm going to push back and say I think we can teach them how to garden, but they have to tend the seeds. We we can we can impart teaching and knowledge and wisdom and teach gardening right with love and affection and attention and respect. We can teach the best practices of gardening, but ultimately everybody's garden like is their own. Their, their own place, so, but again, I don't want to push the metaphor so hard that we're like stuck in the in the limits of
4: it. I'm just observing the intergenerational planting we've not talked about isn't in our text. I thought Correct. I took it as very personal. I need a mentor, and he'll tell me two things of what he needs to be, uh, which we'll get to later on. Yes, because in our, in our you story. read
0: ahead. I love that. So, um, <laughs> so this generational thing is one model, but he's really they're really talking about something else here. This is not mostly the parent. Parent-child relationship. Not that that's not relevant, but they're really talking about chaver, right. which we're gonna which we're gonna get to. So um, this was the way of the disciples of the holy Bal Shem Tov, right? So this is about the origins of Hasidism. Um, that each encouraged the others, and that is why they attained to such lofty spiritual stages. That they each encouraged each other that it wasn't some master teacher. And that's why they were so fabulously spiritual and enlightened. They had wonderful teachers and they encouraged each other. They created a community of learning, a community of discussing topics that would help things like spiritual awareness grow, that would help one's ethical, moral commitments to behavior that's going to make you a better person and the people around you have healthier relationships with you. It's that kind of conversation, the kind of conversation we are having here. So in that first paragraph after our teaching from Hedrach uh, Shudah Nefesh, we get uh, Rabbi Arthur Green telling us about the fact that there were these communities dating, frankly, way far back, in our history and even, of course, today we see it still in lots of different ways, including KI, right? Including congregational life on the west side of the So the practices that, you know, this kind of practice of being with other people who are awake and are about conversations that are about year a, ah, ah is one example in which Hasidism encouraged intimacy and connection between individuals. Right? And they are going to have a range within that group. Ranging from those who are fully alert to those who are in a deep coma. Such that only a tiny degree of life still remains in deep concealment. We're going to go to the question of, if you go to that second paragraph, Reb Arel's approach to living in an age in which, quote, we are in this deepest state of unconsciousness is to encourage individuals who fear that they are falling asleep to go among people who are awake, to seek out a friend who will speak with one and commune with one. Tell me some, tell me some places one might go if one felt one might be falling asleep. I find this. Study. Torah study, great,
3: answer. great for I mean, yeah. it is though.
0: Every Saturday. Yeah.
4: Well, I have
3: a much. There was a
7: documentary on Jewish basketball players called uh, the, last, the first basketball, which was a professional basketball, called last year, But they had scenes from the settlement house on the side, and they taught the Jewish player, the Jewish settlement house, how to pass. The, to each other not shoot just pass and that's how you get along in America that's what comes one of the things that comes
0: to mind because there's got to be a sports metaphor <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right
0: so right the game is about passing right and somebody will take the shot when it's the absolute perfect conditions but, you know, but really the game is about passing this was, just as an aside before
4: the shoot the clock to shoot Scores at the game was seven to four. Okay, three pointer.
0: So there are a couple of conditions for this to be successful. First, the friend who's going to wake you up needs to be at least more awake than you are. Right? One of the least helpful people for me to go to when I'm having a really hard time. Accessing 180 is somebody else who's incredibly distracted and doesn't have time right now, <laughs> right? It's it's not out. now if they can, if we know that there's access there for them and they can settle down and access that, of course, great, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't want to go to somebody who's even less aware than you are um, in general when you're going to be awakened. While well, this might seem obvious, right? <clears throat> Rob is reminding us that not everyone from whom we seek support is equally up to the task and so we need to be discerning even in our not so awake state and here's here's the tricky part because when folks are in a place of not good stuff it is very easy to pick people right out of that place to lead us into other icky places mm-hmm. so sort of
6: what 12 st- I mean when it close to my Like a twelve-step program, it's really
0: trying to do that. So a twelve-step program is based on when you feel like you're ready to turn to somebody who's going to go get a drink with you, (laughs) right? Because that's that's the place you're in. It's very easy to turn because when we're discerning from that place, that's where we want to go. But there's some part of us that wants to stay awake, and that part says, Go "Go to a meeting." because you'll be with people or call your sponsor because you'll be contacting or be with people who are more awake in that moment than you are. Absolutely.
3: But it also might be someone you wouldn't expect. Like I saw, I'll just sum it up really quickly, a video on YouTube or what have you. And these boys
6: did an experiment and it was about a 13-year-old boy in New York, cold, cold day, no coat. And he pretended he was homeless and his older brothers were filming it. And for like two hours, he's on the streets of New York, and everybody walked by, they kind of looked, but they kept walking, didn't offer a coat, didn't offer food, didn't offer money. The only person that stopped and did it was a homeless man. Mm -hmm. Mm and He took his jacket off and said, oh, we have to take care of each other. And I mean, I cried, you know, and he, so who would think that he's the guy, you wouldn't think to look to him for that lesson.
0: So discernment is about challenging my own assessment of who's awake and who's not. Because we often assume the homeless man is less awake than anybody who's busy with their latte and their phone and their briefcase going off to their great big you know, court case, right? So that's what we assume. That is already a faulty assumption, possibly, right? And so part of the work of, of truly assessing who's more awake than me is being ready to learn more about who somebody is.
3: That's the example they give further on when they talk about the guy who's driving the car
4: yeah. I would have started with a different one, which is somebody willing to talk or part. I mean, no, seriously. No, yeah. It, 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 I don't. A lot of people, whether it's alcohol or drugs or religion, and you know, it, it's like the whole person being willing to take the time. Yeah. I'd rather leave my Facebook pages than talk to you about religion. Nothing right. personal, to understand. <laughs> now again, this is 1934. This is the president of the show! This is 1934. <laughs> <laughs> there are people who would serve And me. Not you. Others who might be. Um,
0: so, so that's <laughs> what, that's what this, somebody else would say. The, the, that's what this <laughs> closes with, right, this paragraph. If we can't find such a person, we must nevertheless make sure that we have a loyal friend through whom we can gain some degree of support. So even if it can't be somebody in this moment who's more awake than I am, who can pull me out of, you know, a little bit where I am, wake me up a little bit, still I should call somebody and say, I'm having such trouble with falling asleep right now. Just just to have a sense of at least being witnessed, at least being supported. And loyal is important. Somebody you know is going to show up. Somebody you know you can call. And they're going to listen. And they're going to witness whatever's happening for you right now. So don't, I
3: don't want to, uh, mm-hmm. like to be too much of a Pollyanna, but the, the darkest times in my life have also been the most illuminating because those are the mm-hmm. times when I suddenly remembered the friends I had because people who I might not have talked to in a while <coughs> were there for me. Like when my sister died, and it was... It got, what good can come from that and the thing that can, can come from it is you can suddenly wake up to there being people in the world who do care about you and who care about greater things and when you've just have been in this sleep and not aware of
0: it and so let's be I want to be clear when I'm speaking that I don't mean that asleep means bad times
3: no not, not right because not right?
0: bad times can be hugely insightful hugely wakeful in terms of right That it's when I'm... I just want to be clear. When I'm saying sleep, I'm talking about unaware. Not suffering. Right. Because suffering can be hugely informative. That might be awake. I might be my most awake when I'm in my lowest place. That has certainly happened to me lots of times. This is much more, I think, about the danger of ennui. The danger of getting too comfortable. Getting complacent. Getting unconscious in terms of how many of us how many times have you driven home and you don't even remember making those turns right because because our our minds can get us there they know the pattern they know the routine and you don't even have we're not even present for the left flip and turn (laughs) (laughs) right we're just completely unconscious right so And we're all, you know, worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. And, you know, regretting something that did that could have gone a different way. Had I not been such an idiot? Like we, we, all that, right? That is unconsciousness. According to the masters. According to Kabbalah. That is un, that is coma. Mm -hmm. Not suffering. Because that can be seriously wakeful. That state. If we're aware, right? If we're in touch, if we're doing our work of letting what we feel actually, oh, here's, here's something that's going to scare you to death. Letting what we feel actually come up, right? Because we, we do just about anything rather than really feel what's, what's there, uh, really face what's there, really face what we are experiencing. Did you put your hand up.
6: Oh, I was just moving. But <laughs> is that an assumption that if you are in the deepest, darkest part of you, that you will necessarily learn something from that? No.
0: If one confronts one's own darkest moments wakefully then growth is possible. Mm-hmm. Nothing's guaranteed.
6: Right, no, I understand that. Um, but again, in, in a very dark place in your life, um, there may not be a place to to grow.
0: So their teaching is you must get yourself somewhere mm-hmm. where you can grow. You must get yourself to a place where somebody's more awake and somebody can say, I've been there. I've done it. Come with me. I'll show you, right? Or just go to another room. Right now in my office is a group having conversation. Grief Haven, people who have lost children. You want to talk about the darkest thing possible? They're in my office right now. But they're in there together Mm -hmm. having conversation that's about how do I take the absolute blackest of the blackest of the dark and do anything other than jump off the roof. And so that conversation is critical. What's happening in there is holy, holy work. All right. Did you want to say something, Michael? Oh, Better not be about Facebook, though.
4: No, no. I mean, in that circumstance, you turn to your mother and hope you have a really good one to need your guidance. Mentor conclude a knowledgeable and awake mother. It could. Uh, this if whole, one is
0: blessed with such a person. This whole discussion,
4: I looked at. I actually did read it. And we men are not quite as good about uh, having conversations on meaningful things as opposed to sports, which we're good on. And <laughs> in my opinion, with made a politically incorrect statement, and y'all women. Women do a much better job, I think, of talking to one another. But well, we we than don't men.
0: encourage men to, we you know, our society does a terrible job of modeling and and inviting men to access their own I have inner lives.
4: Every month, with you know a number of friends, and have begun with an additional friend. I'm going to confront them with this. Okay. The next <laughs> they're all going to run. They're just going to run away. That's why I like
3: the part where the rabbi encourages or mandates find a friend that you speak to a half an hour every day. And I'm saying to myself, what man has a friend like that? That's a spouse. Yes, yes. But I'm I'm not talking about that kind of intimate relationship. A lot of women talk on the phone to a friend every day for a few minutes, even when they have nothing to say to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, just a reach-out, yeah, your... a, 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 reach a check-in, mm-hmm. and that provides the kind of support and light, I think, that you're talking about. Like, the group inside. Right. Perfect, certainly can. And
4: is this assuming, however,
3: that um, the person who is supposedly in an unconscious state or reaching that or looking uh, approaching it is the one to be looking for the mentor? Sometimes a person who is outside of that state or to be a mentor, sees the other person sinking into the unconscious state, and whether it's asked to be a mentor or not, you know, it is
0: not. So there's certainly different ways episodes of support can happen. What Kabbalah and Hasidism are always interested in are what are best practices as habit. So surely, yes, someone can see that someone's suffering and is not able to reach for help and can say, you know what, when I said, how are you, Linda, I, I am not buying fine as your answer. Do you want to go have a cup of coffee? So that 100% can happen. <laughs> yeah, you're free. Um, the The teaching is, how, how do I cultivate the habit of, I think I'm falling asleep. I, I need to call Linda it's about cultivating our own awareness of our state of consciousness or lack thereof so that we can you know know that we need to get ourselves somewhere uh, to, to access that
5: I have found in my experience that in order to me to exercise my consciousness muscle is to is to listen to others and not to sh- dial down or shut off my internal, quiet my mind and just be with them and listen. And that's how uh and no commentary, not just listen.
0: Nice. So, because what you're saying is you're choosing to kick yourself and wake up. Because what happens is people start talking and often we're off back in, Worrying about what I should have ought to said had I not been such an idiot. Worrying about what hasn't even happened yet, which is unconscious. Right. right? So it's about that whole right word. I hear you saying is one practice is oh, right. I I'm not even really listening mm-hmm. to you, mm-hmm. right? That Amy, you're falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And so the practice is to like like you said, dial it down. Like bring monkey mind down. Right, And just focus, truly open our hearts and listen as a non-judgmental, non-anxious presence to someone who's really speaking to us. And and when we do this in spiritual practice, um, when we do this kind of listening, I don't know if you've ever done that reflective listening where you don't speak, someone talks for three minutes, then you both sit in silence, then the other person speaks for three minutes, and then you sit. It is such a crazy thing to get used to. Because it is so not how we do think. We're always, yeah, me too. I know. Didn't you love that, right? We're always queuing verbally, and we're always you know, responding right. in the middle, right? And we don't, we don't listen very well, which is one of the reasons that I think, if you ask me, we got this big old amazing spiritual practice that we could all be doing three times a day. Shema, listen up. Listen. Because who's Shema directed to? Us. Us. Shema Yisrael. <laughs> it's not listen, God. God's always listening. Like,
5: duh.
0: Um, Shema Yisrael. Listen up, person of Israel. Shut, Shut up. up. <laughs> and listen. And then affirm our connection, our unity. Adonai Echad. God is unity, it is a oneness, it is a singularity, it is everything, which means you are part of me. Yes. Shma.
1: So how how would you compare and contrast um, some of the things that people have been talking about which can go under the general rubric of mindfulness, simple mindfulness. Yeah. So and and the sort of practice that the Hasids are talking about.
0: So they, they would also be about mindfulness. They're, here they're talking about relationship, mm-hmm. which is a little different. It's still mindful relationship. So mindfulness practice, vis-a-vis listening, right? Um, mm-hmm. Asking for spiritual guidance. Mm-hmm. So talking in a way that is about really processing so you can help me. Right. Um, and for them, that's what this particular piece is about, is about that relationship. So it's, it's relational, which is a little different from right, eating mindfully, right. which is about me and my food, right. or well, like and the, the source of life the, and everything but even else. Yeah.
1: The, the dialing down is an aspect of mindfulness. Yes. Because, right, because
0: yes. More, so I guess I would call it, it applied relational mindfulness.
1: Okay. <laughs> the, there's
2: a book uh, in there. Alright, cool. There's, there's a book. book. <laughs> there's a book. <laughs> <laughs> applied, relational,
7: applied
0: relational.
3: I applied. love applied. it. <laughs> well, Susan? Well, but it, it seems to me that a difference is that we're t- we, when we start talking about talk, two people talking together, we're talking. We tend to be talking about people talking about relationships, or I feel this, I feel that, and it feels to me like they're talking about people talking about the relationship to God and the relationship to Scripture. Yeah. So. Um, you know, you're saying that, that guys don't talk, but these guys in the ghetto, and the yeshiva, they talked for hours and hours and hours, but what they talked about was Torah, what they talked about was Talmud, what they talked about was Zohar.
0: So we and, might use Torah a, a lot more broadly. So in that mindful relational interaction, if... There is that about ethics, values, morals, best practices, right? Good habits, encouragement. All of that for me can be under the rubric Torah. We have some very specific literature, right, around what we would say is our relationship to God. I think Reconstructionists and liberal Jews focus more on Godliness than God. So what is going to help me live a life of more godliness, of more holiness? That's of God, but we don't put the focus on God. The focus is on how does, how does God move through me so that differently, so that I'm different and all of my interactions create an an atmosphere of greater Holiness, an environment of greater holiness.
4: But you have brought this piece which I really enjoyed from 1934 Hasidic Judaism to 2015 Reconstructionist Judaism. Because I hate the expression put a fine point on it, but to put a fine point on it (laughs) awareness here, awake here is knowledge of our relationship with God. And to get more aware of that relationship, and again, we say rabbis wrote this, talk to somebody who's read more scriptures than you have and get more aware of our tradition. That's, that's the, the one-on-one conversation. And Say later that, you know, the two of you study Torah together. And believe me, men don't do that. I'm, you know, not, not you know, constructionists, but Jews or other Jews. You know. So I'm going to, let's talk about Torah and see what, see what I get.
0: So let's, so let's go to this best. Yeah.
4: I'm going
0: to try it. This practice, uh, and it's from uh, Pirkei Avot, one of our great collections, one of Bert Kleinman's favorite. He's studying it right now, aren't you, Bert? Yes, I am. Um, so, which is called Chapters of the Fathers, which I hate, um, because Avot is not fathers. Avot is ancestors. There's, But Hebrew's a gendered language. So unless you're talking about just the foremothers, you have to say avot, not emote. Right? But avot does not mean fathers. It means ancestors. (laughs) All right. Do do you think I feel strongly about this? All right. So (laughs) looking at that text, we're on page 115 in the middle of the page. Looking at an early rabbinic text, who's commenting on an even earlier text. What is the earliest text? It is from the um, chapters of our ancestors. Chapter 1, verse 6. Some of you are very familiar with it, I'm sure. Right? Knelecha, mm-hmm. Rav. So we're going to unpack it because it's one of our greatest. It's one of our greatest. Knelecha, Rav. Right? No, oh, sorry. Ase rav. Duh. Aselecha rav. Don't worry about all this. Chavir. I just want to focus on some of these words. And then the third sentence is, and judge everyone le to the side of merit. Okay. So make for yourself what's rav teacher it's a, uh, from of, of, uh, like uh, Rav is from the root um, expansive abundant right Shalom Rav <coughs> we pray every right every time we get together Shalom Rav We play. We pray for an abundant, huge, vast peace. Right. So it's from that source. That's the same word. So then, someone who is that you would call abundant, expansive. Right. And using that as a title now, Rav. So someone who's masterful in right. Opening stuff up. Expansiveness. So make for yourself a rav. So it doesn't say you're assigned one. Aselcha. Make one for yourself. Pick one. It can change next Thursday if it needs to. When you're different. And you need a different rav. But you have to have a Rav. You have to have somebody you can look to, you can go to, who is gonna be about how to expand you. In holiness, in godliness, in goodness. In the hard, strident work we have to do to be better. Who's a Rav for you? So it's a three-part prescription, this prescription. I think it's one of the best prescriptions we got. Number one, number two, and this is all part of the same prescription. You the doctor hands you the prescription sheet. Go pick these three things up downstairs at the pharmacy. One, make for yourself a rav. Two, what is haver? Ugh. Yes, but no. Yes.
3: With
0: Chavuta right. Comes from Chavir. Right. But friend is so... <laughs> that is Acquire for yourself a companion, a colleague. Oh, right. a, colleague. Right. a colleague is better. Someone who can challenge you but who's going to dig in with you. Somebody who you sit with and talk about this stuff with, learn this stuff with, who can kick it back and forth with you, and together you kick stuff back and forth. That whoa, I did not see that.
4: Where do you find such a <laughs> Reuben? You
2: know,
4: Reuben. The, this Rabbi Roth is talking about some really uh, important uh, requirements for such a, a friend. It's not just anybody.
0: That's exactly right, right? So, um, but I would suggest. On some level, you put yourself in chavruta every Friday morning at nine forty-five on the dot. i do that. You do that. You already do that. I know that. Right. <laughs> so you you come to Torah study every Friday morning. You are sitting with your colleagues every Friday, and I see and witness the depth of your conversation. It is astounding what happens in that room, and I've watched the two of you. Have incredible chiruta with each other. The dialogue that you two have for how many years now? <laughs>
2: okay.
0: A I lot. Too many. Years. <laughs> <Something>. <laughs> 72 years? Wow. So that is a serious set of requirements. And
4: uh, but I'm looking at what uh, bread um, like ah, okay. Points out as yeah. what you should be looking for. Okay.
0: So so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what those qualifications are in this particular context. So, uknelcha require for yourself a colleague. It's the best gift we can give ourselves. Someone who's going to walk this path with you. And, thank you. You said there were three. And there was a third. That's right. I didn't see the Hebrews. I went, wait, what is it? How old am I this month? <laughs> um, so, uh, number three is, and judge every person, lekaf to the palm of merit. Cause we're always judging people all day long, all day long, all day long, all day long, all day long. All day long. And is it going to be merit, right, or not? And so often, which is why it's number three, so often we are so programmed, aren't we? Aren't we ready to just go, I cannot believe she just said that. <laughs> <laughs> we we are so programmed to criticize, right? We meet someone, we want to like them, but we know, I don't know. We we are just so ready. and And that's human nature because we got to be careful. Once upon a time... It could have meant, right? The enemy. I could have. We, we were toast. Maybe, but it's okay that we're set that way. But we have to consciously not do that if we want to be spiritually awake people, responsible, ethical, moral people about creating more godliness and holiness in this world. We must judge people to the side of merit. Assume the best. <clears throat> Assume they're trying the best they can right now. Assume they didn't eat breakfast. (laughs) Not that they're a terrible person, right? Assume somebody just snarked at them, right? If they snark at you, right? So there's lots of ways to judge to the side of merit, even if it's this much, even if it's not a huge, I love that person, they're so fabulous. We can still always correct that impetus to like, yeah, right? These are the big three. So, Ruben's pointing out that uh, that's from Pirkei Avot. Right? But in Avot de Revinathan, Ravnatan is quoting this and commenting on this when he says, this teaches that a person should get a companion for himself to eat with him, drink with him, Study scripture with him. Study Mishnah with him. Sleep with him. And reveal to him all his secrets, the secrets of the Torah and the secrets of worldly things. What is he suggesting? A chaver is. Serious study
3: partner.
0: Serious study partner. What else? That's one. Sounds like a mate. So, but I would... I would suggest that this is not about, like you said earlier, an intimate kind of relationship like that.
3: I'm stumbling over the sleep with.
0: So, meaning they would study in the base midrash till three and four in the morning. They would sleep, and then they would get up and daven shachrit, and then they would continue studying. So, this is now. It's a whole nother conversation. I'm not suggesting there is not homoeroticism all over the place. Just watch Yentl again with different eyes, <laughs> right? He's nervous. She makes him very nervous because he's aware he's attracted, right, to his chavruta. So um, yes, there were. V- it was. V- it's a very intimate relationship, and there's a line over which a mate is. This is an. This is an opting in that's not marriage. Does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Your mate is kind of like they're, they're stuck with you. You're stuck, you're stuck with each other um, in a good way, but you're stuck. You know, like you're, you're in a, this is an opting in. This is voluntary. This is somebody who chooses to be this close to you out of choice, right? Some of the most beautiful and close relationships we have, Bubby. Yes, our relationships and family of choice. Yes. I okay, so serious study partner. Mentor. What else do you hear here?
6: When they say when it's, uh, they talk about Torah, but they also talk about worldly things. So to me, they're talking about spiritual as well as temporal, and we share (coughs)
0: Someone who is ready to tell you everything and talk about it, and talk about everything. Nothing is off limits. We can talk about Torah. We can talk about Iran. We can talk. You can't, but
4: um, (laughs) But private
0: joke exactly. Um, So you can talk about you know what just happened on the news today. You can talk about your concern about you know your kids. You, You can talk about the best hamburger you. Have everything in your life that happened yesterday. So you can talk about it all. Think about those people in your life that you know you can talk about. And probably they are very few. If you're lucky, you have one. That you can tell anything. to, And you two can talk together and generate together insights and all that about anything. Dana Fine yes.
6: So I have a question. So this is spiritual practice that the Kabbalists, that, that we're talking about. Was it, I mean, when you look at Pirkei Albo, was it intended at the time for just men? Yes. Explaining the practice to men. Yes. Because when you describe the practice, it's almost, well, that's already happening. Women, women do that. Women do that. Women have a good friend. But they talk to for a few minutes every day. they tell every little thing to. So it's just. Um, it, is it that it's defined for men who couldn't do it
0: and they to get to that point? It's it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. I would love for you. Your homework assignment for next time uh, is to rewrite this from a woman's perspective, telling people what they should have telling women what they should have. How would it, I'm very curious how it would look different, right? If it were women telling women, here's what you need to be kept awake and alert. The
5: Venus-Mars, the Venus-Mars
0: that, that's what I keep hearing. I yeah. Come up um, that Venus Mars, yes. you know, difference. So the, the question though I have, Dana is women do this in terms of the intimacy part of this. Right? Telling each other every gory detail, right? You know, all the colors of the snot coming out of their three year old's nose. They, they're very good about, right, this intimacy and the support. Sometimes what's not necessarily invoked is the sense of to what end. Sometimes, so if it's just support, that's groovy. That's totally important. It's absolutely necessary. One element that gets added here that I think is important is for your ata for your atasham right so for to increase our capacity to stay awake to awe and wonder and holiness and goodness and and stretching you know about how to to do that rather than just kind of going they're they're all important i'm not trying to completely separate them but i think so there is an element that's beyond just chatter chatting so then were
6: women initially excluded
0: they were um, yes understand.
6: And sometimes, you know, when people talk about this Torah and getting together and studying Torah, it is so, to me it's so um, it it is like bantering about how people act. I mean, it's so reality based in a certain way. It's as if you're talking to your girlfriend. Can you believe this happened? They wanted this. It's just so. Those men who were studying Torah, I feel like we're really getting in touch with those. Uh, you know, those, those
0: certain qualities. Which I would love to see your next research paper be. <laughs> How has the fact that that Jewish men were encouraged to have this, those learned men, those yeshiva buchers, um did that change the culture of Jewish men? No. No. You hear a lot of people talk about Jewish men being different from other men, I wonder if there isn't some factor about them accessing exactly that kind of conversation through Hevruta that I hear you saying, as part of Torah study, that maybe was an access that they had that that male normative culture didn't necessarily encourage among men. Blanche, did you have your hand up? Yes. Um, I wanted
3: to talk about being a senior, an agent and losing sisters and brothers and friends. It's hard to replace. And it sets a standard. So it's a challenge. But then, we're living in a culture of youth. I talked to my granddaughter, who's very interested in robotics. And a friend comes up, and she talks to me like I would never know about that. Like what? And she gives me a
0: lecture. So Blanche is saying that um, her granddaughter is very interested in robotics. Her friend comes over and talks to Blanche as if Blanche couldn't possibly understand one the first thing about that. In a way that I, it sounds to me like it's kind of patronizing and infantilizing, right, and dismissive of your own intellectual capacity, right? It's like, okay, I don't know about robotics, but if you sit down and tell me about it, guess what, I can follow, <laughs> right? Like, um, and so what Blanche brings up also is this, the hugely important issue of aging in in terms of, once one has the blessing of this in place, what happens is if we live long enough, they begin to die. And those people who have been that for us, we watch them leave us. We watch them decline. We watch them suffer and we watch them leave us. And then we're the ones now who know the benefits of this, who have lived the benefits of this, who appreciate it because we built it. Right. And, and then what does it mean to have that gone? There's another point.
3: The difference between our emotional lives and our, our educated lives. I think women have in general connected much more to their emotional
0: life than men have. So that rich vocabulary of emotion that we share with one another again then informs the intimacy that you talk about then being so hard and devastating to lose and how does one, how does one replace how don't begin to replace that you can't replace obviously the relationship but you how do you replace those needs that that got that somewhere it's it's a really important question of this of this life stage
1: don't we have as we get older and hopefully mature uh, don't we also have the in the midst of this change where you know, some of us lose companions over the course of time. As we mature, we also are given the opportunity to, in turn, become the mentor or companion to someone else. We don't, we don't have to, we don't need to be, uh, we need not always sort of be in the position of the junior partner, so to speak. At some point, we've learned enough and grown enough and matured enough to have some wisdom possibly worth passing on to someone else. And so certainly
0: mentoring is one of the ways we can develop intimate relationships, 100%. And I think there is there is something to haver that is about the equal. Right. And that mentoring is exhausting. And it's rewarding in its own way. And that is seriously important legacy Writing, 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 writing. Blanche, um, she's a poet. Um, so, um, legacy, right, it is a huge way of you know of getting out a lot. But there's something about Javier, the intimacy of a colleague, of someone in your level of experience, that is really hard to lose, and then very hard. To replace I was
3: just going to say that even the wisest person and most elderly, or whatever, always needs an advisor. You know, the president has an advisor. You know, whatever level you want to look at, we all need. Whether we're ninety years old, or whether we, you know, a rabbi or whatever, we all need a an equal. It's to advise us or somebody to, um, you know, look up to whatever it is for advice because we kind of don't always. We need the feedback. We,
6: I may be um, off the track, but part of what I most enjoyed in this particular um, reading was um, mentioning the fact that we need to find somebody to support us. We need to find somebody who will give us encouragement, who will make us feel good about ourselves, and that's very important in the
0: relationship. And so often... We see it as a weakness, don't we? I mean, I hear tears coming up. We feel it, and we feel it's such a... Something that's missing and so vital and so critical. And yet we feel like, what's wrong with me that I... I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just, there's so much around that. We, we long for it so much. And what I love about this piece is that it's saying it is vital. If you want to be spiritually awake, you have to have that. It is a prerequisite. It is a minimum. Not the idea. If you can't wake up without somebody ready to support you and encourage you and see the best in you and promise you it's going to be okay and I'll be here through it. And that's what we provide for each other. And what I love about these kinds of intentional communities like KI is that you don't have to know the name of anybody in this room. Yeah. We're here. We're here for each other. Right? That's That's the gorgeousness of intentional community is we are here and we're showing up. Right. And we're figuring it out together. And that this conversation, right. Is our. hevre. Tom. I can
7: really relate to some of the things you've been talking about here. Uh, for the last two and a half years, I've been missing a guy who was my gym partner for 32 years. Oh. Um, he died at 96, two and a half years ago. He was a lot older than me. But it was one of these relationships where the age just didn't matter. And uh, and we didn't call it anything spiritual. Uh, it never we never polluted it highly. Uh, we just went to the gym and we had fun together. And we did a few other things together, not too many other. And You know, I remember when he was 96 and losing his mind, uh, he took my hand one day and he said, I forgot a lot of things. I'll never forget you. (laughs) Um, I get emotional just thinking about it. But every day, I still go to the gym every day. I don't have a partner like that. There's other other friends there. There's nobody like that guy. And uh, there never will be. You say replace it somehow, or try to replace it, or be somebody else's mentor. You've got to have a special quality to click with somebody. That doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I would suggest that we had something spiritual going, but we never. We talked baseball. We <laughs> talked <laughs> whatever what guys talk about. Um, and once in a while we talked, you know, he would offer me advice how to deal with his sick father-in-law, and dying father-in-law, and so on and so on. And that was very early in our relationship because my father was dead for 20 years. But, uh, yeah, how do you replace it? I have no idea. Just the memory of it, which I feel just about every day, is...
0: It's still really powerful. It's yeah. Clearly still...
7: But I mean, it's
0: without that guy there that gym is not the same place. that's right it's not the temple it was no. it's just a gym well it was just a gym <laughs> I'm going to challenge you there Tom I'm going to say that there's, those were temple moments and those were amazing spiritual experiences and that gym was a different place when you were there with him what was happening was a different experience oh well, very much so and
7: but therefore it the gym a was the same place
0: <laughs> it was and it wasn't <laughs>
5: Um, being a person who is in various twelve step recovery programs over many years is there's a saying I think Bill Wilson had said it is we call like a meaning a fellowship of the the language of the heart and the fellowship of the spirit and we can have sense at this time in this context what we're doing is the same thing the language of the heart, the fellowship of the spirit
0: very nice. So, we'll look at, uh, just these closing teachings. One thing that they're clear, that he's clear about is, one of the things that makes it a spiritual experience, because he's asking the question, well, what is, what defines spiritual friendship, (laughs) is mutuality. Right? That deep mutuality of someone who enjoys being with you as much as you enjoy being with them, who finds it as growthful for them as it is for you. Even if it's your mentor, you know, that they get something out of it and you can tell they love teaching and you love, right, that it, that there's something about a mutuality that creates a positive feedback loop that's good for everybody. Everybody comes back more, right, comes out of the experience enhanced and Um, and that for me, I guess is one of the the most important pieces of, of relationships that feel like spiritual, um, friendship as, uh, is that sense of deep, uh, mutuality. And then it may be, you know, it may be any, uh, relationship. And, uh, we're going to go to the, your last page, page 117. It can be any friendship in which there are reciprocal feelings of trust, acceptance, and confidence. Feelings that invite us, enable us to be courageous and honest, to be vulnerable, to be ourselves, right? Incredibly important language, trust, acceptance, confidence. Feelings that invite us, enable us to be courageous and honest, to be vulnerable, to be ourselves and that they are to be face-to-face and private and intimate, right? These connections that deeply, deeply matter. He quotes Springsteen, our urban poet Mm -hmm. and a little of that human touch, just a little of that human touch. And we shouldn't forget the physical nature of friendship either. One of the things I experience most as people age is, um, they, they talk about touch deprivation. We don't get touched. We don't get hugged as hard. We don't, right? We, there's so many ways we need to, to appropriately touch each other. <laughs> appropriately, of course. I'm a, remember how by... Um, as with life itself, friendship is always a work in progress, always evolving. At times we stumble and we need, we need to do tikkun, the work of repair. And, of course, sometimes even substantial friendships come to an end. All genuine friendship is, in one way or another, loving friendship. And like love, such friendship has no need to highfalut itself, in Tom Eliot's language, has no need to announce itself, no need to impress anyone or satisfy anyone's ego. In the end, we cannot imagine human life without enduring loving friendship. Somebody want to close uh, with reading Jane Hirschfield's poem, The Hearts Counting Knows Only One?
3: In Sung, China, two monks, friends for 60 years watched the geese pass. Where are they going? One tested the other who couldn't say. That moment's silence continues. No one will study their friendship in the koan books of insight. No one will remember their names. I think of them sometimes standing perplexed by sadness goose down sewn into their quilted autumn robes almost swallowed by the vastness of the mountains but not yet as the barely audible geese are not yet swallowed as even we, my love will not be entirely lost
2: Thank
0: you May we continue to... uh... Figure out ways by showing up for each other. Showing up to our own highest aspirations for who we can become. Trusting, risking enough to come to rooms like this. May we be strengthened in our capacity to be both vulnerable and truly present to others' vulnerability. That we might create uh, greater communities and uh, greater selves of holiness.